Well, hello. This will be the last week in our series we call The Plot of the Bible. And hopefully you've had a chance now before we start to review the plot of the Bible, the six main sections that we've broken this story up into that we've been discussing the last few months. Purpose, problem, pattern, perfect, progress, and promise. And today I just want to end with this. What do we do with this story? As we understand and learn it, what do we do with it? And I think the simplest answer to walk away with is that we tell it. Um, as I've said before, this isn't a story that is meant to be like a book that sits on the shelf and just collects dust. One summary of the book of the Bible uh, that I've read, kind of the Cliff's Notes of it, there's a summary called The True Story of the Whole World by Michael Goheen. It's a good kind of um, narrowing down of, of the main events of the story. We've been saying that it is a true story and it is our story. And really it's the story, right? It's not one of many stories. It's the story of all things. And so we should know it and we should tell it. I was explaining to our church in Lenore City um, that the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, makes it clear that the story is meant to be passed on. If we sit on it, it doesn't do any good. If the women who were witnesses to the empty tomb didn't eventually go out and tell, then nobody in subsequent generations would, um, would be saved and the story would have died. So it's a critical story. It is the story. It's a true story. It's our story that is meant to be told. I'll quote from Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they then call on him in whom they have not believed? And listen, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The biblical word for good news there uh, is gospel. What needs to be proclaimed? What needs to be reported? The gospel. I'm going to take a minute to define that word gospel. Uh, euangelion is the Greek word. It kind of means a really important, really good announcement. Like the report has come that a battle has been won. It's gospel. The report, um, some people call it royal good news because it was used when the announcement of the birth of a king, that might be called gospel. So it's really important, a really good announcement that people need to hear. Well, what is that announcement? What's the essence of it? What's the, the essence, the core of the, the gospel of Christianity? There's been a lot of discussion over that and for, for centuries now. What is the core of the Christian gospel? And um, maybe you take just a minute before I jump in here to yourself. What, if you had to describe the gospel briefly, what would you say? What is the gospel? Think about that for a moment. I'll give a, a few answers of how we might answer that question. In the broadest sense, the whole Bible is the gospel, right? Really important, really good announcement. Well, Everything that we've been reviewing for the past seven sessions, um, it, it's God revealing himself and his will to mankind, and it is good news for us to learn and accept it. 
the whole Bible. Uh, a more focused kind of sense of the gospel could be the gospels, or Matthew, the gospel of Mark, gospel of Luke, gospel of John, specifically about the life of Jesus. Those portions of the Bible are called the gospels, right? And so we even talked about how the story of the Bible that expands thousands and thousands of years, it really slows down, almost slow motion here in the life of Jesus, really three years of this one man Jesus' life, and it's told four different times by these gospel writers. So we see the emphasis of the Christian good news or gospel is found there in the life of Christ. The beginning of Mark starts with uh, Mark saying, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's a more direct sense, though, of what the gospel is as the Bible uses it. Um, and remember, not only is, is the life of Christ one man, three years, told four times, but within those accounts, nearly half of the gospels is a space used to describe kind of the last week of Jesus' life. So there's maybe even more emphasis on what's the core of this message. Well, it's Jesus' death and his resurrection. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, very important passage when defining the gospel that a lot of people use. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm just going to read this. This is Paul's definition, really, of, of gospel. So, so look at this. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, good news, I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So here it is, colon, right? Here it is, the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers, and then to, uh, to James, and then to Peter, he goes on to say, verse 11, so we preached, so you believed. Here's the gospel Paul received and passed on. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised on the third day, he appeared to many people. And that's a pretty good, maybe the best, launching point when defining the gospel. But also, depending on the who you're telling that to, um, that might need some more explanation, right? Like, well, what does it mean Jesus died for our sins? Why, why would he have to die? And what is sin? And what is the significance that he was raised from the dead? So there's maybe more to say, but that's a good summary that Paul gives us, maybe of, of the core of the gospel. Do you believe that? Jesus died for our sins, was buried, resurrected, appeared to many people. I've had a lot of friends, um, both here and in L.A. and Bakersfield um, and Nashville, that maybe have no apparent involvement in Christianity except to say, oh yeah, I believe the gospel. That, and you, if you ask them what the gospel is, they said that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again, right? Uh, there was... Maybe the majority of people in America would maybe agree to that, that gospel message and say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe that. But let me throw a wrench in our understanding of the gospel a little bit. Turn to Mark chapter 1. You might want to keep your hand um, or, or bookmark in, in 1 Corinthians 15, but Mark chapter 1. And um, this is near the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, okay? So Jesus is kind of bursting onto the scene publicly, and listen to what Mark records in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, 
Jesus came into Galilee, listen, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, if we define gospel by 1 Corinthians 15 that we just looked at, Jesus died for our sins, buried, resurrected, appeared. Well, what is curious then about Jesus preaching the gospel at the beginning of his ministry here? That gospel of 1 Corinthians 15 hadn't happened yet. Nobody even knew exactly that that would happen. How is he going around proclaiming the gospel when it hadn't happened yet? Likewise, the disciples, when they were sent out to preach the gospel, see Luke 9, 6, before they knew anything about Jesus' death and resurrection, they were preaching the gospel. Well, what were they preaching? <laughs> so maybe there's more to the gospel than Jesus died on the cross for my sins and raised and was seen. The gospel that Jesus preached, as we see here in Mark, and we see in Matthew and Luke as well, um, is about the kingdom of God. Okay? You see that um, in verse 14, Mark 1. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, or here it is, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's break that up just a little bit. The time is fulfilled. That doesn't mean that something has just been completed, but the appointed time is here. Something is coming to pass now, okay? And he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. We've talked about it before. Um, we could spend a long time defining the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is where God's good way of life is lived, where things operate in obedience to God's good reign. So we might see God's kingdom in a family that is obedient to the Lord, in a home. We might see the kingdom of God in parts of a city that is, that is being ruled by and run by the principles of God. We might see the kingdom of God in the church. Certainly, we hope we see some elements of the kingdom of God there where God is being obeyed. The Jews would have thought of God's kingdom like maybe at, at times in their history in ancient Israel when they were living in submission to God's reign for those little short times we read about there. Um, and, and we're looking forward to a time of the kingdom of God when, when that would be the case again. Certainly we can find the kingdom of God or will find the kingdom of God in this idea of, of heaven. Um, I would say the kingdom of God is, was experienced in the Garden of Eden before sin, where everyone, all two of them, were submitting to the rule of God. Um, the Bible also speaks clearly of a, of a future kingdom of God or a version of it, a reality where, where um, the, the earth and all of heaven and earth is completely filled with God's kingdom, the new creation. That's the promise we talked about last time. And, and God's kingdom, this idea, it's highly desirable, right? Because in it, we experience his blessing and peace because he's told us how to live. And when we live by those ways, when we're obedient, it brings prosperity and blessing and goodness and, and peace and love. So he says that kingdom of God, where everything is falling into submission to God himself, that kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus says. Here's his gospel. It's at hand. That just means it's, it's here. Or think about it. It's close enough to take hold of. It's at hand. Okay. So the gospel this really important, really good announcement that Jesus preached was that the kingdom of God is available now. What makes it so? That Jesus is there. God's kingdom is present in Jesus. 
because Jesus demonstrated perfect obedience to God the Father. So God's kingdom is where Christ is. He perfectly shows God's good way of life, and uh, therefore his blessing and his peace come surrounding this person of Jesus. And Jesus would then go on to talk about access to that kingdom for others that come through himself, and through his death and resurrection we enter the kingdom. God's kingdom is available now in Jesus, is this message of good news that I, I think that Jesus was preaching before his death and resurrection, and his disciples were preaching before his death and resurrection. The kingdom is coming, and, and this guy is talking about it. This guy knows about it. And later, his death and resurrection provide how we enter that kingdom. And it's all gospel, okay? I think we can even see the kingdom of God, that idea, if we look more carefully at the 1 Corinthians 15 passage, okay? We um, see a couple of things there. In verse uh, 3, um, here's what I received. He says that Christ died for our sins. We have to take into consideration that Paul is using the word Christ. That's not just a name for a person. That's a title, right? It's, it's Messiah or God's chosen king. Okay, there's meaning in that, and that might beg the question, well, king of what? Well, of God's kingdom. So the king has died for our sins. And so we see some of that in there. We also see some other kind of kingdom idea in there when, when after both of those things that he died and that he was resurrected, it was in accordance with the scriptures, it says, after both of those, in accordance with the scriptures. He was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. So there's more to the story Yes, Jesus came on the scene, he died, was buried, resurrected, ascended, or appeared to many people and ascended, but that's part of an unfolding story of how God is bringing his kingdom to bear. So even if we use the 1 Corinthians passage to describe the core of the gospel, it's saying more than Jesus died and resurrected, okay? We might need to give some explanation to, to some of, well, what's a Christ, right? Or what is that story of the scriptures? What, what's going on there? And so that's why we're trying to make sure, even to just define the gospel itself in this series, that, that we know the story. Because it's important that Jesus is the Messiah. What's that mean? That he fits into the picture? Well, what, what does that mean? We don't want to be like... Um, I described in the first lesson in the series that we had, like we missed the first hour of a movie, the Old Testament, and when then we watched a little bit, Jesus, you know, death and resurrection, and then we kind of skipped the rest of the book too, or the movie. Um, maybe, maybe that's happened to you. Maybe your, your focus at the beginning has been on that specific work of Jesus, which is great, but maybe that will make sense more in the broader context of the rest of the plot or the entire movie. That makes sense. So I want to just make a suggestion. I'm not the first one to make this suggestion by any means that we should be careful not to cut short or to truncate the gospel. If you're like me, um, the core of the gospel that you heard growing up in church like I did was you've sinned against God, so you deserve hell, but Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and if you believe that, then you get to go to heaven, right? That's kind of the Romans road, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Uh, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Romans 10, 9, if you 
confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? That's the Roman road because they're all verses in Romans or the Romans road. Um, it kind of boils down to, in my mind, or how I remember it, as you need to be saved from hell because obviously hell is a really bad place, right? True statements, by the way. Very, very good news. But is that the essence of what God is doing in this massive book, the Bible? Does that message have anything to do with our created purpose to image, fill, and rule? As if, did, did when Adam and Eve sinned, God kind of give up on his plan of his glory filling the world through his people, and now he's just trying to get people out of the world and get them into heaven? Like, is that the story that the Bible is, is telling? I would say the actual story is that God is setting out to display his glory throughout all of his creation, and that the ultimate problem is that we're um, working against that because of our sin. So if you even read the Romans Road 323, all have sinned, and listen, they fall short of the glory of God. It's even in there. We're not living as we were created to do, to display him throughout the earth. We fall short of that. The actual story, I believe, uh, is that the goal isn't to escape earth to go to heaven, but actually to fill the earth and all creation with the glory of God, with his image, both now and eventually for all eternity when he recreates the heaven and the earth. The actual story uh, in it, the, the Holy Spirit, isn't just kind of a passing helpful note or paragraph in the book, but the Holy Spirit, he is critical to completing the story of his image filling the earth as he fills his people so that they can properly bear his image. Um, so I, I think I said this a few weeks ago, the story isn't just about God's work for us, but about God's work in us, okay? And all of these things come to light and, and, and give us a reason to live when we don't overly truncate the gospel that just says, try to get saved so that when you die, you go to heaven, right? So here's some help, hopefully, um, on how to give a little fuller picture of the gospel that maybe than you have grown up with, let's say. So another way to kind of frame the gospel is to use kingdom language. Just kind of add this into your tool belt. Kingdom language, um, I like to think about it kind of in, in three ways. Kingdom, king, and call. Kingdom, king, and call. God's kingdom, we described it, it's where life is being lived in the goodness and blessing that God intended. And the gospel of the kingdom is available in Jesus. We can begin to live in the blessings of the kingdom. Christ lived the kingdom and he overcame the problem that keeps us from living in that kingdom through his death and resurrection. And he puts his Holy Spirit in us so that we can live out his kingdom and, and experience his kingdom. We also live um, in the, or we will, in the perfected kingdom when Christ returns, when there's the new heavens and the new earth, and there's no more pain and death and sadness and relational turmoil. We'll live in this perfect world, the, the completed kingdom of God. And, and as we're sharing the gospel, as I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, that really resonates with people, maybe more so even than somebody saying, well, you'll get to go to heaven. That may mean, oh, big deal to somebody. I haven't, and they have this weird understanding, made up version of whatever. I get to just do all the things. I can eat all the ice cream that I want or something. Um, 
But really what people are aiming for in society is the best version of this. They, we want utopia, right? Where nothing, where nothing goes wrong, where there's no sin or hurt or, or tears. But we know that we can never get there. And that resonates with people, I think, or some people, so long as we have the problem and the pattern that still exists in 2023 that started way back uh, since the fall of mankind. So kingdom, and we can't experience the fullness of the kingdom unless we do that through Jesus. So kingdom is a way to talk about the gospel. King, let's not fail when we share the gospel to talk about Jesus and Jesus as king. By the way, said it before, there is a so-called gospel that doesn't save anyone. And it's the lie that if you just believe in God, then you're good. That is an overly truncated gospel, which is really no gospel. If you just believe in God, you're good. James says that if you just believe in God, you're no better off than demons, okay? The true gospel centers around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In fact, many places in the New Testament, it's called the gospel of Christ. This whole Bible, which we said could also be called the gospel, I like how the Bible Project defines it as a unified story. The Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus, even the way that the whole plot is set up, as I pointed out last time, is like this giant chiasm pointing to uh, the people of G or the person of Jesus, who's kind of the linchpin or the hero of the story. You have parts one and six, where you have the Garden of Eden and the new creation, which are like these perfect, wonderful states where the kingdom of God is, is realized well. And then you have in part two, you have the problem of sin. And in part five, you know, moving in from the outside of the outsides of the story, part five, you have this, the defeat finally of sin and death and all of evil. And then the next part after sin, you see this pattern of the, the trajectory towards disobedience. But you see before the final judgment of sin, you see the trajectory of progress towards living out the image of God. And right in between that, in the middle of the story, what everything is pointing to is the person of Jesus Christ. Even the whole way that the story is written points to him. Jesus answers all of the problems in the world. He's the perfect human, and he's the perfect king that brings about a perfect world. Jesus, the Christ, or Messiah, is both Savior, which we hear a lot, or I've heard a lot in my upbringing, but he is king. He is the one who rules in goodness and perfection, he rules the kingdom of God. So there's those two things. You have the kingdom of God, this utopia that everybody wants where, where there's no sin or death and, and everybody's operating in their perfect potential and everything that God has created them to do. And you have the king who is leading that charge, who is demonstrating perfectly his obedience to God the Father and is making a way for us to enter into that kingdom. And sorry, you're going to hear a lawnmower in the background. That's uh, my bad. I doubled up in the wrong time here. Lastly, kingdom king call, just ways to kind of add into our language to the gospel. There is a proper response to the gospel. We receive his salvation by faith in his death and his resurrection, and we give our allegiance to him as our king. That's our part. That's, that's, that's our faith. That's the proper response to desiring the kingdom and knowing that that only comes through the king. We, we're not paying him back for salvation. It's a free gift, but we do live in obedience because he's our king 
and by his spirit, he enables us or causes us to walk in his ways, which is why we're, we were created. So look at the verse in Mark 1 again, verse 14. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay? And remember, at this point, when Jesus is saying this, the gospel is that God's kingdom is available in Christ. So repent and believe in the gospel that had been revealed to that point. And he saw Simon and Andrew, and um, he says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So the call of the gospel, or the proper response to the gospel, is repent, or turn away from your current way of living in disobedience, believe, and follow Jesus. So in short, the proper response to the gospel or the call of the gospel is have faith in Jesus or give your allegiance to King Jesus that you may have the kingdom. In this way, you can, you can enter the kingdom of God and you can live in that kingdom by the power of his Holy Spirit who enables you to obey the gospel. Just a few more thoughts before I wrap up here. Other ways to frame the gospel, there, there are many of them, and we will do that. Every couple of years here in our local church fellowship churches, we're going to consider this story as a whole, kind of like we have here, but from a slightly different angle. You can talk about the story of God from like, the presence of God is a good way to kind of consider the different pieces, the covenants of God. We've touched on a little bit this time. Um, but the plot of the story doesn't change. Like I, I think we can maybe even keep these six distinct parts that we've created, but the significance of those parts, we didn't create it, God did, but the significance of those parts, we can continually be learning more about the story as it unfolds. It's very multifaceted. Another thought, you, you might think to yourself, have I been preaching the gospel the, the actual gospel, now that I'm understanding it better, have I been preaching? Do I even know the gospel? Maybe even after this series, you're confused. Well, wait, what is the gospel? Listen, all of us as disciples of Jesus are continually learning the gospel. We're continually learning this story and the nuances of what God has accomplished in Christ. You can read about theologians who are coming up with different atonement theories. What did Jesus accomplish on the cross? Is it the moral influence theory? Is it penal substitutionary atonement? Is it Christus Victor? And I'd say it's, it's probably safe to say that we cannot fully understand the significance of the cross or the resurrection or Christ or this whole story. But the good news is we're not saved by theories. We're saved by Jesus, right? And the gospel, as Paul would say, it's not for smart people. It's not for the people that can figure out really tricky things. It's, it's for simple people, uneducated. It's for people like us. It's for anybody who can take it on with the faith of a child. So maybe you've shared the gospel before or heard and understood the gospel that it is simply Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Is that gospel? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Is that gospel? Absolutely, it's the gospel. Absolutely. Might there be a version of the, the good news based in that that can be expounded more fully? Well, absolutely. This Bible is it's a big book, right? And it says more. It's not just one sentence. Jesus died on the cross for your sins so you don't have to go to hell and you can go to heaven, right?
Um, but, but yes, there's, there's so many facets and what you have understood likely if it's come from a good Bible believing Christian or church, it, it is gospel. It's not that you've missed it. We're just trying to fill in some more of this picture that will be an, a never ending endeavor for us, at least here in this life. So what are the essentials of the gospel? <laughs> Do you have to know the Old Testament to say that you know the gospel? I don't think to try to get to the essentials of the gospel is necessarily always the most helpful question. I don't think the goal is to kind of whittle down to the bare minimum amount of information that somebody has to agree with in order to be saved. The goal is to know Christ, to learn from him, to become more like him. And so hopefully as we have more and more discussions throughout the years about the story of God, about the gospel, as we meditate on the person and the, the work of Christ, hopefully that, that will be accomplished. I hope our understanding of the gospel, of the story of God, the plot, I hope it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and expanding and more and more accurate because it's doing so. So let's just end here. The gospel is a really important, really good announcement that must be told. So how do we tell it? I'm not saying don't use the Romans road or the plan of salvation or the four spiritual laws or the different ways that you've heard it kind of narrowed down. Those aren't wrong by any means. Those are, there's truth there, okay? There's gospel there. That is really good news. But just remember, and I hope we've added into there, that the gospel isn't only about how you get out of hell and get into heaven. God reveals himself in a beautiful and epic story, a whole story, a true story that fills in the beautiful nature of what being with God and obeying God and being formed into his image means. And it's a beautiful, big story, maybe beyond what we've ever realized before. So how do we tell it? Well, here's my encouragement to you. First, learn the story more and more. Make it your life goal to learn this story, one of your life goals. Learn the story. Learn the big picture. Learn the nuances. Refine what you know. Um, don't be overwhelmed. It's not meant to be difficult. It's going to take work to understand, right? The early church, we read in the book of Acts, they were committed to the apostles' teaching, which was based on the Old Testament scriptures. They were committed to the public reading of scripture, right? They wanted to learn and understand and know the story that God has revealed to us. But it's not meant to be difficult or to confuse us. It's just going to take work and time to understand it more and more. So learn it, learn it, learn it, and devote your life to understanding what God is revealing here in his word. And then secondly, tell what you've learned. Tell it. It's not just one of many stories. It's the story about everyone and everything. So tell that story. And then third, keep learning and keep telling. Okay. I'll just emphasize those first two again. And, and by all means, I'll add a fourth on here. Tell how the story has affected your life because it's not just a story. It's not just a true story, but it's your story. Say, God created me, as you tell the story, God created me to display his image, to, to spread his glory and rule over his creation. But I chose to do my own thing and to disobey that purpose for my life, which 
cause a problem for me of sin and death and sin and death is all around me and broken relationships and everything that come with that. And try as I might, there is a pattern in my life that I can see there has been, no matter how hard I try, I can't make myself live the way that God intended. And I've tried. I can't make myself to properly show off his glory. But Jesus, the perfect man, is the perfect image of God. He came to live the life that I couldn't and paid the penalty for my problem. And so I have given my life in faith to him. And now he's changing me because he's placed his Holy Spirit in me so that I can actually have progress in my life and begin to live out my created purpose. And he made a promise that one day he will return He'll complete his work in me. He'll eliminate the problem of evil. The entire universe will be filled with his glory, and I will be like him, reigning with him and all his children over all creation. And you can have that too. Can I tell you more? That's, that's how we can bring our own story into the gospel and be personal with it because it is our story. So I want to encourage you all, blessings as you, as you keep learning God's story. And tell what you know and what you've experienced because it is the gospel, the most important and most good announcement that we could ever make.